everybody, and welcome back to the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, the podcast you're listening to, and we review movies on Streaming Club. <laughs> my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Really, you can you can prepare something. No, no, no. no. I want to be <laughs> off the cuff. I want to be spontaneous. Yeah, yeah um, I thought that'd be fun. I don't know. Keep everyone on their toes. You never I, know I what you're going to so. hear. Um, this is the Streaming Club. This is the... Uh, Sort of a spinoff of our main review show uh, during the pandemic when everyone was locked inside and all we had were streaming clubs to keep us entertained. The streaming services. Uh, streaming right. services, that is, to keep us entertained. Uh, we reviewed the new releases, but we also decided to delve a little bit, go back, catch up on things that you and I, William, mm-hmm. uh, had not seen. Yeah. And uh, at we're least pro- one of us had not seen. We're professional critics. We've mm. seen a lot of movies, but nobody's seen everything. And, uh, you know, we were trying to make the most of a bad situation and be like, okay, let's just take an opportunity to see what older films are on these services where we can uh, uh, sort of bolster our own knowledge of, of cinema. And so how it works is thus. Every week, we put a poll out on our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, any donation a month gets you the ability to listen to uh, contribute to, the, to these polls. Even $1 a month, you get to contribute to the polls. And you also get podcasts and everything like that, but a lot of exclusive stuff over there. But um, and uh, we pick one streaming service, and we pick one category on that streaming service. It might be a genre, it might be a decade. Uh, and uh, Whitney picks two films he hasn't seen. I pick two films I haven't seen, and we let our patrons decide. Mm. Uh, this week we decided to go with Paramount Plus, which I think uh, we can pretty much all agree we all only have for Star Trek, right? That yeah. Um... It's the new UPN, like we only have it for Star Trek? No, that was Quibi. Quibi is the new UPN, uh, but okay. uh, which which we got for no reason. Nobody got it. Uh, <laughs> nobody got Quibi. Except me. I was the Quibi if the, guy. If Star Trek was on it, people would have got it for Star Trek. That's no. all I'm saying. They had, a, I mean, they had a few hot products. Like they had Reno 911. That was like their big pre-established IP property. The well, then that reboot of The Fugitive as well. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, yeah, the well. Fugitive and Most Dangerous Game. Like they had a few recognizable titles. Yeah, anyway. Uh, Paramount Plus, uh, they launched, uh, which was launched as CBS All Access, and yeah, they had a, a reboot of a new Star Trek series and a new Twilight Zone series. Those were like their big, uh, come on into our streaming club. It's it's only six bucks a month. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and most people said, I'm not going to pay, and I'm not going to watch your crummy Star Trek show, except for suckers like me who will watch anything that has Star Trek on it. Yeah. Well, the thing is this, they didn't have a lot of... Other stuff, really, mm. to be perfectly frank, unless you were really interested, not just in old TV, but specifically the old TV that they had. Yeah, like if, if you were really into, I think it was Blue Bloods or so, some CBS, mm. the famous CBS shows. Yeah, like The Good Wife. If you really want to rewatch The Good Wife over and over again, by God, yeah, that's the service um, for you. But the, um, a couple months ago, they rebranded as mm-hmm. uh, CBS All Access became Paramount Plus, and they, they reworked it a little bit, and they started just putting in all many more Paramount films. There were some before. Yeah. Uh, we've we've looked a bit at their service before for movies, and frankly, we were a little unimpressed uh, at their overall catalog. They have some good stuff. They have some weird culty stuff, but overall, it's just not that many films. Uh, but we did want to give it a, give it a, a, another glance, and so we decided this time we were going to look at I believe it was action movies mm-hmm. on Paramount Plus, and uh, the winner of our Patreon poll is a classic heist film from 1969. Uh, it's one of my personal favorites in the genre, and it's the first time watching for Whitney. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the original The Italian Job. It's a very difficult job, and the only way to get through it is we all work together as a team. And that means you do everything I say. Okay, so Whitney, going Mm -hmm. into the Italian job, what did you know? What did you heard? Had Um, you seen the remake? I had seen the remake, uh, which okay. uh, came out in 2003. Uh, Directed by F. Gary Gray. Good F. Gary, cast. Uh, F. Gary Gray and a good, really good cast. Um, Charlize Theron was in it. So Jason Statham was in it. Ed Norton. Seth Green, Ed Norton. Yeah. Ed Norton was like the villain character yeah. and the, the 
the the lead dude in the middle was Mark Wahlberg, and he did okay. Um, and, and you're replacing like the young, le- sexy, and interesting. You're, you're replacing in it, young, uh, sexy Michael Caine with mm. any era Mark Wahlberg. It's a step down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a step down. Well, Mark, an attractive man, but yeah, yeah step down. It's um, okay. It's not my time. Uh, like the the Marky Mark workout video, it's like when he's when he's he's at his hunkiest. He looks like he's sculpted from ice cream. He's a good looking guy, uh, okay. but uh, but yeah, also a Boston meathead through and through, and and proudly so. He's just mm. he described himself that way. Uh, what I and that remake I enjoyed. Good. I thought I thought it was just a, a fun, clever, light hearted romp, and yeah. I knew that from the original they took the conceit of specially altered uh, minis, Mini Coopers, mm-hmm. to. Uh, that were altered so that they could carry a, lot, a greater amount of weight, mm-hmm. uh, so they could carry gold and a gold heist. That's what I knew about the original. Yeah, they they were uh, going to use these mini Coopers. Are as you can imagine mm-hmm. from the title, if you're not familiar, very small cars, mm-hmm. uh, and they're very maneuverable. And the idea is, we need cars that can run away from someplace with the gold, but can also get in places where other cars can't they, and they needed, be very... they essentially needed to like drive it indoors and up staircases and stuff and yeah. you couldn't do that with just a car yeah but it needed to be big enough to carry all the gold that they were going to mm. steal uh, mm. so yeah the, the story was about a bunch of uh very charming criminals and in the yeah. remake uh you know jason statham was the one who his specialty was charming ladies like if he needed to charm yeah. his way into some place seth green was uh, the hacker yeah there was uh, uh, my favorite bit in the remake was uh they had a driver who's like an escape driver. It's like, we're all going to pile in the car and we have to get away super fast. And this guy's good at getting away super fast. And the heist was going to take place in Los Angeles where they had never been. And they said, okay, we need you to sort of like scope out the streets. How long would it take you to get from like the heist location back to the coast? It's like the heist location was in Hollywood and they have to get back to the coast. <laughs> and he's like, how long would it take? Is like, and they think it's like going to take him like seven minutes or something. And he comes back. He's like, took me four hours. There's a lot of traffic. <laughs> Stuck on Santa Monica Boulevard. Did you know 40 people died of cigarette smoke while I was sitting there at that one intersection? There's this one billboard yeah. on Santa Monica Boulevard, and they keep a, a running tally of how many people have died from smoking cigarettes every year. That billboard has been up as long as I can remember, and it's, it's the most yeah. depressing billboard it in the really, universe. And they've changed, like, the light up. Like, every, the, yeah. the and it's, light not, up and it's not, like, yeah. just a number. Like, it's actually, like, a digital number, and if you wait at the, at the red light long enough, you see it you go see it up, tick up yeah. and it's this horrible <laughs> existential nightmare every single time. Like, oh, God. And sometimes it doesn't tick up by one. It's like it ticks up by four. It's like, oh, no, four people are smoking really heavily together in a room somewhere, and they all just keeled over at the same time. Uh, So I liked the remake. And um, just for for whatever reason, I never went back to see the original. Mm. Um, I know that the original is part of a tradition of Michael Caine bloke films that were uh, really hot properties in the late 60s. Um, There was The Italian Job. Uh, there was Get Carter. That was actually the seventies, but it was part of the same yeah, tradition. Part of the same line. Michael Caine, uh, uh, or if you're pronouncing it correctly, Michael Caine. Say if you're if you're saying it in American English, say uh, cocaine that is yours. My cocaine. My cocaine. My, my cocaine. <laughs> nice. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, Sleuth was another one of those. Yeah, my, Michael um, Caine was was uh, a very uh, hot and sexy uh, actor. We previously on the streaming club before we spun it off, we had done the film Alfie, which I had never seen before, and mm-hmm. I was glad I finally did. It was more melancholy than a lot of his other films, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's he, actually quite a quite a sad and bitter film. Yeah, Alfie. Yeah, but it's and it's about like you know a lot of Michael Caine's movies in the '60s were about the swinging '60s and how cool and sexy and and uh, dangerous and exciting it was and this is certainly no exception this is a very stylish eroticized movie in a lot of ways uh but alfie was about basically taking that down a peg and talking about how just immature and sad that really is yeah yeah. um but yeah michael kane he played spies he played hitmen he played gangsters in this one he plays a a master thief um just a great all-around movie star did a little bit of everything. Uh, one of the greats, Michael Caine. You gotta love him. Um, yeah, so the original Italian job came out in 1969. Uh, and unlike the remake, which I imagine a lot of people have seen, it was a pretty sizable hit. Um, I like it fine. I, mm-hmm. I think it kind of drains most of the distinctive style out of the original, but as a fully functional ensemble cast, kind of Ocean's Eleven kind of riff, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. 
Uh, the original is so 1960s. And in fact, I would argue, <laughs> I would argue that Austin Powers gets more of its vibe from the Italian job than any James Bond film. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and indeed, Michael Caine was in an Austin Powers film as Austin Powers' father. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're they're kind of showing their cards at that point. Yeah. And uh, I I understand Austin Powers so much more now that I've seen the original The Italian Job. Yeah, because it's much more about like it's much more about like English style, English uh, fashion. English uh, music, mm. uh, and also what we could only call, again, the swing in 60s, where people were just apparently having sex with everyone and everything yeah, it, constantly, it, indeed, and it was uh, great. Indeed. Uh, the, the opening of the film is uh, the Michael Caine character getting out of prison yeah. from uh, for a previous crime, and he's totally affable about it. It's like, okay, bye. I serve my time. I'll, I'll miss you. See, see you later. And, uh, and my wife. You will do. <laughs> <laughs> Wink. And he's uh, greeted at the door of the prison uh, by his, his girlfriend slash partner. Like their relationship mm. is a little bit amorphous. He's been in jail for, I think a couple of years and she never visited him. Uh, and he's like, and she's, he's, he's like, I'm surprised to see you here. And she's like, why? I, I, we, we, we were dating. It's like, yeah, but you never visited. Does that seem like my scene to you? <laughs> I'm not going to come to a prison. Yeah. And uh, they drive off in a really, really nice car, which it turns out she had just pilfered from a Pakistani ambassador. <laughs> and that's like the, the, pa- the those little flags that you see on the front of the cars are in the car. Yeah, and Michael and, and just like, keeps looking up, at it, trying to figure this out. Is a, this is the car of the Pakistani ambassador. And she says, oh, I wanted to pick you up in style. And she immediately drives him to a hotel where she's bought him like eight sex workers. Yeah. As, as sort of like a welcome out party. Yeah. So he just gets to have an orgy. Yeah, he just, and then like, Yay! It, it, we don't see the sex, but like it cuts to like hours later, it's night now, and he looks pretty exhausted. It's, yeah, <laughs> like, he's putting his clothes back on. It's, well, strictly speaking, the, the film is rated G, but, wow. uh, but yeah, it's it's a little bit body. It's very rated film. Uh, it, actually, the first thing she does before she takes him back to the hotel is she takes him to his tailor. Oh, that's That's right. the most yeah, important yeah. thing is that he looks proper he looks the part now and uh so like he goes to his tailor and the tailor like looks at what he's wearing and they're just like oh god he's like hey this was all the style when i went into prison what did you serve life as <laughs> <laughs> the tailor yeah, it's this, this uh, very um queer coded tailor it's like yeah. what what did you serve life <laughs> love, love the reading i don't guys. even know if it's queer coded i mean i think camp mm. freddy is like one of the oh, main villains yeah. one of the main villains and he's I don't think he's coded at all. I think all he's right. just gay. Um, but um, so uh, yeah, he's 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 out. He's on the prowl. Everything's looking great, and he's already got a job. And his job is uh, to steal a lot of gold bullion uh, from uh, uh, an exchange in Italy. There's a big deal going down. And and actually, in the opening scene, we see this incredibly suave and sophisticated man in sunglasses and a sports car driving along the curvaceous roads of Italy. And then he rams his car by accident straight into a um, a bulldozer. Is it, was it, I don't think it was by accident. I no, he was, well, he didn't mean to. Yeah. It was the oh, uh, the bulldozer was put there on purpose yeah. by the Italian mafia. They just sort of roll him down the the yeah. ravine, and you don't know what the hell's going on. Which a scene that will be uh, paralleled later because yeah. that thing just that's its shtick as it pushes cars off yeah. of cliffs. Uh, and uh, turns out that guy was supposed to be Michael Caine's partner in this gig. The guy dies. Michael Caine finds out that he dies from his widow. His widow says, yeah, so he died. Mafia found out about the job and they weren't happy about it. And Michael Caine's like, oh, okay. I guess that's it then. Bye. And she says, no, no, no. He wanted you to finish the job for him. It's his unfinished masterpiece of crime. By the way, my, I, my plane's not taking off for three hours. Would you like to have more sex today? And Michael Caine's <laughs> like, I suppose I would, yes. <laughs> and so they have sex some more. And then... Uh, one of the the Italian job is a crime movie, but it's, it's not it's a movie a comedy film. It, well, it's a comedy, but yeah. it's a crime movie. It's about criminals. No, yeah. uh, the crime one gets the impression they're not looking at it super realistically. <laughs> they're, they're, this is very, very stylish. This is very, very uh, whimsically portrayed. Um, for example, everyone has a tendency to instead of just writing down their plans. 
or recording them like on an audio recorder, mm. they film themselves. And so like this guy is filming himself planning out this elaborate gold heist for Michael Caine. And Michael Caine is like putting on his 16 millimeter projector and like making himself a nice dinner. And the guy says like, uh, what's, what's his name? Charlie Croker. It's like, hello, Charlie Croker. If you're listening to this, I'm dead. You sure are. Anyway, moving on. And like they're actually having this conversation back and forth. And uh, the plan is uh, there's a gigantic business deal going on in Italy. Hmm. There's going to be moving like four tons of gold. Um, One and, gigantic truck that has a big envoy on the yeah. other side of it. And, and uh, the, the, it's all it's, it's right there for the taking, but it's a lot of gold. It's super heavy. And it is being exchanged in the middle of a gigantic sporting event, which will cause a gigantic traffic jam, making escape nearly impossible. So Michael Caine is looking at the plans and decides, I can do this. But he needs funding. And so he immediately goes back to prison. <laughs> Which a really interesting conceit is that he ends up going to a, a, a British organized crime lord played by the incredible Noel, Noel Coward, Coward, who is running crime from inside jail. And uh, I uh, I looked it up. Uh, Noel Coward was the head of like this uh, famous actor studio in England at the time. It was, I think it was called the Actors Orphanage or the Performance Orphanage. Uh, and the director was a student there, so they were friends. Mm. So I think Noel Coward was in this as a, a favor to the director. Um, yeah. Director not well known in the United States. This guy, um, oh, uh, Peter Collinson. His name is yeah. Peter Collinson, and. This is the only credit of his that I could recognize. Uh, he mm. did a lot of British TV, uh, but he also did films with names like Up the Junction, The Long Days <laughs> Dying, uh, Straight On Till Morning, The Man Called Noon. These are not movies I'm, I'm terribly familiar he with. Did a, he did a 1974 uh, adaptation of And Then There Were None, mm. which I'm not 100% sure, but I think I might have seen that version. It had Richard Attenborough, Oliver Reed, Herbert Ra- Herbert Ra- Lom, Elkie Summer... Gert Frobe, uh, yeah. good cast. I, I think I might have saw that one when I was a kid, but I don't remember very well. But yeah, mostly yeah, he he did British cinema and a lot of his stuff never really uh, broke out here in America. Yeah, it did not well known here in the United yeah. States. Um, I'm sure we have some uh, listeners from the Isles are probably far more familiar with his his work. I almost can almost guarantee it. Um, so uh, Michael Caine goes, he breaks into uh, Mr. Bridger's toilet. He has a personal toilet. And the prison, and, and the king's in there. That's the easy thing to break into. Yeah, uh, and uh, he offers him the deal. Uh, Mr. Bridger doesn't want to do it because he doesn't trust Charlie Croker. Charlie Croker is a small time. Uh, also, Charlie Croker's initial pitch was to Bridger's right hand man, a guy named Camp Freddy. Uh, and Camp Freddy says he's not interested because Mr. Bridger is actually quite the patriot. He has an entire room in the prison dedicated to pictures of the queen that he has found in various magazines. And uh, he's not interested in doing jobs in Italy or anything like that. And mm. it turns out that Charlie, uh, Charlie Cooker is able to frame the pitch in such a way that, like, listen, this is all a deal that's going on. People are spending money on, in Italy because they're not going to England. So screw them. Let's bring that money to England. And that's what Mr. Bridger decides it's worth investing in. <laughs> Love it. The- it's Italy is sapping our tourism dollars. I was reminded Let's get of, them back. I was reminded of a of a cult heist movie from the nineties called Fast Getaway with uh, mm. Corey Haim and Cynthia Rothrock. You ever see that one? I I, I know of it, but yeah. no, I've not seen it. Uh, Corey Haim plays uh, the son of a bank robber, uh, very charming bank robber. He does he does jobs with his son and. Uh, they get double crossed by one of their partners and he has to go on the run. And it's, it's pretty good for what it is. Um, but the part I always remembered at the beginning is they need to, uh, steal a car. Mm. And their plan is to, they always steal an American car. And Corey was like, why do we do this? And dad said, well, if they bought an American car to begin with, Mm. when we steal it, they'll buy another American car. And that helps the economy. (laughs) optimistic view of, of con- consumer culture, but all right. No, I just kind of like it. I like that they're, well, I like that these are characters with a little bit of dignity to them. Like I was, um, when I watch the Italian job and I see just how incredibly arch these characters are, how concerned they are with style, how concerned they are with, uh, sort of proper etiquette amongst criminals. Yeah. Uh, I was actually reminded, like, it feels less like, like a gritty crime story. It's not gritty at all. It's quite, 
comical, no, but it reminded me yeah. a lot of a Damon Runyon story. You know, oh, and yeah, the, the guys in Dolls Man or Lady yeah, for yeah. a Day, where he Damon Runyon portrayed uh, criminals, mostly in New York City, as uh, being actually very likable people with a very distinct code of honor. Hmm. Uh, you know, they committed crimes, but not the crimes that hurt you. Uh-huh. The crimes that hurt other people, people who can afford it. Like, you're not actually losing money on a crap game, are you? No, it's just these guys. So who gives a shit if Nathan Detroit does it? You know, it's okay to like him. It's okay to find him a, a fun, mischievous scamp. And I think that's the attitude we're supposed to have at the Italian job, where, yeah, these guys are career criminals, but they're not ripping off the little guy. They're stealing cars from, you know, ambassadors from foreign countries and mm. ripping off giant gold deals in Italy. Like, who cares? Like, I, I'm allowed to like them. They're not killing anybody. Like, they don't, they beat a couple of guys up in the middle of the heist, but not too bad. Mm. You know, like, it's it's all pretty above board. They're actually pretty cool dudes. Yeah. Um, The middle chunk of the movie is dedicated to setting up the heist. And what I love about this setup for the heist is that they tell you everything they're going to do, but it's hard to picture what the plan is until you actually see it in motion. Yeah. So when the plan actually comes together at the end, it's still kind of exhilarating. And I love that. Because they play well, fair, but they don't um, give the game away. That's every every heist movie. And mm. uh, heist movies never sort of. heist movies never play fair, is the point. Uh, they set they say what they're gonna do, they set everything up. Sometimes mm. there's even like a montage of like how it would look if it went perfectly. Mm-hmm. And when the final heist comes down they've either hidden some vital details from you mm-hmm. so that you can have a few surprises that's ocean's 11 uh yeah uh, it's like uh, and 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 then the cops are walking out with the money but it turns out brad pitt was one of the cops and you, mm-hmm. oh wait you didn't say that part earlier yeah you kind of, but you that's showed, only for, that's you only kept from like, the audience as a surprise yeah, yeah. and like it you're, Everyone you're in being the pulled team around knew about yeah you're you're being pulled around but that's a fun kind of being pulled around yeah. and it's um, like a magic trick uh, or there's the more typical story, which is something ho- horrendously wrong happens, and they have to sort yeah. of rework the plan at the last minute. Yeah. Okay, I need to like pick this one lock, or otherwise the alarm will go off. Well, look, no problem, I can pick that well, lock. Oh no, I did it wrong. The alarm went off. What do we do now? Well, and that's why I think the Italian job is actually kind of an interesting example because actually everything pretty much goes right, mm-hmm. except for like one little bit at the beginning, which ends up not being a big deal. And then one big thing at the last possible second, which we'll talk about at the end, because I love the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're plotting the heist. It's just a bu- it's a, a Michael Caine and a whole bunch of Cockney guys who are just uh, talkative, fun quipsters who are going about the business, doing the gig. You were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Is a line that is apparently like it's one like polls in Britain. Of like the best movie line ever, because mm. there's a part where they're planning to do uh, this giant heist, and then they're they're, they're testing out an explosive, and a and a, and a van just blows to high hell. It's a great sequence too, because yeah. the they're counting down, and the camera's zooming in with each count. Three and, zoom, yeah, two and, and, zoom, and then when one. when it gets to zero, it pulls way back out, and we get to see the whole van exploding. Yeah. And Michael Caine looks at this gigantic explosion and turns to the guy next to him and says, "You were only supposed to blow the bloody doors off." Yeah, it just explodes the entire van. Yeah. Um, they get to Italy and the first thing that happens is the mob says, you are not doing this. We've been, we've, we've watched you make your incredibly elaborate, like independent films about doing this heist. <laughs> and indeed there's a bit where, uh, where Mr. Bridger is actually like watching Camp Freddy, like tell him about how all the plans are going. And he's looking in the background of every like shot of Camp Freddy, like at various locations talking about the heist. And there's always like one mob guy peeking out over a newspaper. He's like, really? <laughs> no one noticed. Um, so they want none of this and they immediately throw their cars off of a cliff. Um, so, uh, the mafia could potentially stand in the way of everything. Uh, it actually goes nowhere. That's a plot. It's actually yeah, never yeah. really, you think it's going to go somewhere really big, but it doesn't. It ends up just being a sort of a little blip. Um, and, uh, and then the heist goes off a of pace. The one thing I didn't mention yet is in addition to having, uh, Michael Caine in the film, in addition to having Noel Coward, two incredibly famous mm. uh, performers at the time. Oh, and, we have a famous comedian as well. Yeah, they actually need, and this is maybe one of the first heist movies to use this as a plot point, they need a hacker. Because <laughs> because the actual like traffic system in Italy is being run by computers. Old-fashioned computers, which are running on like spools yeah. of magnetic tape, but still computers. And they need to actually be able to manipulate that, and so they get the greatest computer expert in England who would 
turns out actually has uh, is apparently struggling with a form of uh, sex addiction, and um, he's he's actually like, and he, he he's touched- actually not a very he's actually not a very. Uh, uh, not a very reliable person as yeah, a result. He, he, chases, uh, he chases girls around everywhere, and they go really, really fast. Fast motion, you might say, and then yakety sax plays in the background. Yeah, it's Benny Hill. It's Benny Hill. <laughs> I don't know how many Americans are aware of Benny Hill anymore. Benny Hill was... Hmm. Um, but the Benny Hill show was on public TV a lot. When uh, we were if, kids, if, yeah, it was when on we were kids, if, if you're watching uh, Doctor Who or Monty Python's Flying Circus... Faulty Towers. Or, yeah, all, all of those British comedies and... Uh, they ran alongside uh, early uh, anime imports on yeah. public TV back in the 1980s. So there was a, a certain uh, cult audience that was finding yeah. these things. Uh, Benny Hill is a British comedian who did a lot of uh, ribald, tawdry, very, frankly quite sexist <laughs> st- uh, sketch comedy. Very, very body humor, yeah. It was, yeah, like, it was well, mostly very, at his own very, expense, uh, but it was a very... Was he specialized a, in very sexist humor. What, what, what we once called girl crazy. Yeah. It was girl crazy humor. Uh, but he was enormously popular like people like he's, he was he's, a huge he's very funny he's very he can be very very funny yeah. i've got nothing against like him in general it's just i think nowadays a lot of his humor is quite dated and probably wouldn't um, be seen as a good taste but he was incredibly funny and he was incredibly popular and the triumvirate of the absolute respectability of noel coward hmm. the completely contemporary suave sexy you know handsome heroic sophistication of michael caine and then on top of it, you've got Benny Hill. Like I'm trying to think of like you're what... talking about sort of the 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 composure and the sophistication of Michael Caine. Michael Caine is, I mean, he's he's a, a bit of a bloke. He's a yeah. lad in my this point movie. Is this. And my point is this: he he dresses well. Yeah, he's very likable. He's very charming, and you definitely want to have sex with him. But he's also he's very down to earth. Is my point? Yeah. He's not like James Bond, who's very no. al- very aloof and so concerned with you know style and manners. He's just well dressed. I apologize yeah. if I if I gave that yeah. impression. My point is that he cares about how he looks. And he looks amazing. This is a movie that is very, very interested in style. Everyone's clothes are fantastic. Oh, the uh, costumes are wonderful. Holy shit, this is a good-looking style movie. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think Michael Caine's character cares about that. But you're right. He's not like an, a mannered gentleman. Hmm. Um, he's just a very cool, yeah. well, well, he presents himself very, very well. And, and uh, yeah. Uh, basically, they're waiting for the heist to go on. The heist... Goes the last act of the movie is pretty much just the heist. Mm. Uh, they uh, they disguise themselves as uh, it turns out England is one of the football teams playing in this event, so it's easy to explain why they're there. Uh, they get in a van covered in like you know hurrah for England graffiti mm. and British flags everywhere, <laughs> and um, at some point they just push aside the vehicle with the gold in it. Whap the guards on the head a couple of times, lured up the gold bullion while people are actually like using a battering ram to trying to get into the building. It's very suspenseful. And then a imp- really impressive, like yeah. destruction and vehicle stunts as yeah. they're loading up the bullion and driving the cars out yeah. of the building. Yeah. Just at the last minute, just before the, the police break down the doors and the, the game is up, they get in their mini Coopers. And then for like, it's, I, I, I don't, I didn't actually time it. It feels like a solid 15 minute car chase. It's a pretty big one. It's yeah. very, very long. It's a gigantic car chase through Italy and significant parts of Italy, but mostly it's supposed to be the, Turin. The, I don't the, know if it's where they shot it. But the idea was they were going to load the, the gold onto a bus and then drive the bus just back to England. Yeah, but first they have to use these minis in order to evade the police and also manipulate their way through a city which is in absolute gridlock traffic. And how you do that is you're driving the cars through buildings, up and down staircases, on the top of rooftops. <laughs> they drive up to the top of a rooftop, all three cars, and then the police follow them. And then they like spin a donut around the cop car and they drive back down the roof and the cop doesn't know what the hell he's doing anymore. Uh, they're driving through various tunnels underneath the ground and they're like sort of spiraling up and down. And it's just one amazing car stunt after another. And after a while... You start to almost anthropomorphize the cars, and it becomes like they're a like, Looney Tune. They're like Herbie. Yeah. After a while, and it's just like, what are those also, cars going to do yeah. next? There's one point where they all like they interrupt a wedding. <laughs> it's just absolutely incredible. Um, and what's another thing that's wild about, it, and I forgot about this, is that almost half, if not more than half, of the car chase is done without music. 
Yeah. There's not even any like suspenseful music it's playing. Pretty, it's just sort pretty of pretty common at the time you think of car chases like in Bullet. Yeah. Uh, there, there's not suspenseful noisy music going on. The reason why I say that mm-hmm. isn't because that wasn't the standard at the time. The reason why I say that is because one of the most famous things about the movie besides the Mini Cooper chase is the theme song to the Mini Cooper chase called Get a Bloom and Move On. Okay. Uh, which is uh, uh, an incredibly wonderful, catchy song. It's often uh, known instead as uh, uh, the Self-Preservation Society, because that's a, a, a lyric that's repeated a lot. Yeah. This is the Self-Preservation Society. Hmm. Michael Caine actually is one of the people singing on that track. And do you know who composed that track? Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones <laughs> did the soundtrack to The Italian Job. It's an amazing soundtrack. Because <laughs> it's Quincy Jones' soundtrack. I know, but it's actually very varied. Uh-huh. There's actually a lot of like songs that just they totally sound like they're very, very different, but they all belong in the, in the same soundtrack. They're of a piece. The Self-Preservation Society, a.k.a. Get a Bloom and Move On, the actual mm-hmm. title, is a wonderful, like positive... It feels like a sports song. Um, and it's full of Cockney slang, and it's just absolutely charming and funny and kind of patriotic in a way and there's i love this bit where when they're using the mini coopers to evade the police and they finally evade the last police car uh mr bridger in prison gets a phone call Mm. saying they've done it they've stolen the gold and then all of a sudden every single other prisoner starts chanting and like rapping like their 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 cups against like Mm. the 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 bars and everything in tune with the music You know, and it's and then this Noel Coward just walks out amongst them like Caesar has just won a battle. And he's just like, yes, yes, praise me. Praise me for I have done it all. Thank you. It's so fucking great. And uh, then there's a wonderful car stunt where they drive the Mini Coopers onto a bus in mid while they're driving. And it looks like everything's going to be OK. Until the best ending ever. Uh, so... I mean, can we describe the ending? Well, I, I again, we're, we're under the assumption that people... And, and I really want to talk about it, too, because yeah. I think it's fascinating. This, we're this under the assumption the, that you've seen the movie. We, so we gave you a week. We, yeah, you know, but, um, people on Patreon so had a chance to see it. They're, so, yeah. they're driving these twisted, uh, twisty Italian mountain roads to, to get away, and they, they think they've gotten away. Yeah. So they're, getting, and, they're, uh, they're, so, they're cocky, and they're, like, popping champagne mm, in the back. And, and uh, it takes a curve a little hard, and it starts to go off a cliff. Yeah. And then it's it, and like you've seen in, in movies before, the the long bus is sort of like teetering on the edge of the cliff with the gold on hanging over the cliff, and everybody else crowded on the other side to keep the the bus from falling. And they have if the gold falls out, maybe they'll survive, but then they won't have the gold. Mm. And if they try to move to grab the gold, the weight shifts so much that they'll all die. Mm. And Michael Caine is like crawling on the ground trying to get the like, gold. Everybody push yourself really far. I just counterbalance my weight. And he's yeah. reaching out to try to get yeah. the tries, gold. He, and, and the gold like keeps sliding further and further away from him. And he says, he, he seems like he's got a plan. And then just as he's about to reach the gold, it slides almost all the way all the, towards the end. And then he just, he's sitting there. He's looking at the gold. Everyone's terrified. The gold is tottering over the edge of a cliff. And Michael Caine says, okay, I've got a great idea. Credits. <laughs> <laughs> and then roll the credits. They pull out, and that's where they leave us. And boy, howdy, what a great ending. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it doesn't get much better than something like that, where they yeah. just sort of leave you right where they're hanging. You know? Literal cliffhanger. And, something, it's, it's, and, and it's not one of those things where it's like, will they get out of it? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, they, they were cocky. Yeah. They got away with it, kind of. Uh-huh. And that's all you're going to get. Yeah. And it, and what I love about this is there's a lot of uh, heist movies where we want to love the people committing the heist, but there's this sort of moral tint mm. to the story where the movie won't let them get away with it. Maybe it's because it was a production code thing, or maybe just the filmmakers just thought it wouldn't be right mm. to have them get away with stealing this much cash. And you'll see this in movies like, I think the original Ocean's 11 ends like this well as well. Mm. Um, so there's always got to be some reason why they don't get away with the money. Yeah. Uh, here, we don't know if they get away with the money. We just know that, that something kind of came along the last minute. It doesn't feel moral. It just feels ironic. Yeah. And I really, really love that a lot. This ending has inspired a lot of imagination, which I appreciate. There was an idea that this big cliffhanger would potentially, if they ever made a sequel, be resolved. And the mm-hmm. idea was that it would be probably be resolved by helicopters. Like the mafia would show up with a helicopter. Uh, here, here's how you how how you yeah. resolve it. Uh, you you make the sequel and everybody's out. Just yeah. everybody made it out okay. 
And then we and just never talk about it. No, they talk about it. They just say, oh, remember the Italian job? Oh, that was a fun one, right? Yeah. Anyway, like that's like we only get some weird allusions well, to that they got out of it. I we remember don't know whether or not they kept the gold. I remember there was uh, that they did that because um, we we you had never you still haven't seen the rest of the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock show. I just saw the first one. Yeah. Okay, so there there's eventually they do the storyline where Sherlock Holmes died, and then came back. Hmm. And that was like the big season finale. Sherlock Holmes dies. And then when they, and in the next season, they brought him back, but they never explained how he survived because how he died was he fell off a building and everyone saw him land on the ground like splatter. Hmm. So no one knew how the hell he could have done it. And like one of the characters become like a conspiracy nut, like trying to figure out all these different ways he could have faked his own death. And all of them seem stupid. And in the end, Sherlock Holmes never explains it. It's just, we just, <laughs> we know he did somehow because he's Sherlock Holmes. Um, and it, frankly, it was incredibly dissatisfying uh-huh. um, because he's Sherlock Holmes. I want to know how he did it. I know he figured it out. It felt like a cheat. That's the thrill of Sherlock Holmes. He gets to explain to you how And Sherlock Holmes, it feels like a cheat. And this one, you could totally be playful and it would be fun. They have had like logic puzzles. Like they actually had contests based on how do you solve the problem of the Italian job. And the, I think the parameters were this. You have to solve the problem within 30 minutes, like within like the storyline. You have 30 okay. minutes to get the gold away. You have to save everybody's life and you have to get the gold mm. and you only have 30 minutes and you can't use a helicopter. What do you do? And there was some guy who came up with an incredibly elaborate but probably effective mm-hmm. uh, um, scheme, which would involve uh, breaking certain windows Okay. Uh, and like letting the glass like fall out over the side to balance it, but letting the glass from other windows fall inside to balance it, and then mm, running the engine in order to remove a lot of the gasoline from the back of the car All so right. that it would it's counterbalance like it. Out, like, where the gas yeah. tank was and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's it's elaborate, but it might work. Hmm. And I, I, but again, I think when I'm watching the Italian job, I think they had absolutely no interest. In like solving this problem, right? They had no plan that didn't involve maybe and Deus Ex Machina. A helicopter comes in at the last minute. Mm. Like no, no, no. There isn't a solution to this. But in your head, in the audience, you're like, "What's his great idea?" Your 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 mind ignites. You got all like the little electrons in your brain to start firing off like. Pew, pew, pew. And you just want to figure it out for yourself. It's so much fun. Create a rope out of everybody's clothes and you tie the bus down somehow. Yeah. No, I I, I wouldn't. I don't know the solution. I don't want to think of a solution. I, I, I've, I've, I've toyed with it a little bit, right. and I've, I've, I don't have a good idea. My idea probably wouldn't work. I'm bad at math. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm bad at math and physics. I had an idea about uh, basically uh, you get everyone in the back, and then you basically try to use people's clothes to create a grappling hook. Okay. And you try to hook it around the gold so that the bus will fall, but the gold will remain. Okay. And you try to just sort of angle it. Mm. It doesn't really work, but it's the best I got. I okay, got nothing. Well, but so you've saved everyone, and yeah. they're now they're standing on an Italian road with like thousands of pounds of gold. Oh yeah, and, you, and then you like steal a car or something like that. You do the best you can from that point on. But it's, oh, okay. the, the immediate problem is getting off of the bus safely with the gold. Okay. You, I don't think you're saving the bus. I think the bus is the bus is 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 a foregone conclusion yeah. at this point. I think the bus is dead. But yeah. Hmm. Um. So so this is uh, this was your Italian job. What do you uh, think? It's 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 delightful. It is so much fun. I didn't realize that it was a comedy film. I, oh. I, I was thinking um, it was a lot more like something like Get Carter, which is a little bit uh, more of a terse film. That's a hard boiled noir. Get yeah, Carter. I love the original Get Carter. It's a great movie. Yeah, I've, I, I watched the original and the remake back to back. I've never uh, seen the, remake. The, the remake is. I hear it's bad. Not yeah, not worth okay. a thing. Uh, but uh, yeah. When I, I so I was expecting something like you know incredibly serious or like really complicated you know in terms of the relationships that was going on and you know his girlfriend picks him up everybody's singing and she takes him to get a suit and an orgy it's like oh this is this is this is a lot more fun than I expected yeah this is a this it's is actually a treat. it's it's, it's a yeah it's, it's a little sweetened puffball of a movie uh, that is just such a treat. Such an unexpected treat. Yeah. something really really light and fun and really funny. Yeah, this movie. Uh, it, Initially came out and wasn't super successful. The critics were not super laudatory about it. Um, and then it's my understanding it just never went away. Mm. 
just stayed on TV. People really liked it. It's almost like it's a wonderful life. It was just on, around for so long. People eventually realized how much fun it was yeah. and like what a great cast it had and what a wonderful personality it had and what great set pieces. And yeah, it just gradually earned its place as it's considered one of the best British movies by a lot yeah. of people. Now it's certainly what um, in my experience. And again, I haven't seen every British film ever, but it's one of the great British pop movies in terms of just like pure pop culture, fun, uh, music, style, characters, wit, action. It's got everything you need to be you know incredibly popular. Michael Caine, Benny Hill, and Noel freaking Coward yeah. for goodness sake. Yeah, and a car chase and Quincy Jones in the soundtrack. Well, Come car, on. Car chases, but, you know, Union Jacks and, and all of the criminals are Cockney criminals. Yeah. And, yeah, they're all speaking in Cockney slang. Yeah, the cars it's, are red, white, and blue, like the colors of the Union Jack. Yeah, and like, yeah. yeah. And and they're always seen like they're all always the exact same distance apart, so they kind of move as a unit. These uh-huh. red, white, and blue cars. Incredibly elaborate. Um, what a great! You, everyone thinks of a car chase now as this incredibly like powerhouse, you know, high octane, fast and furious stuff. It's really kind of refreshing to see the Italian job and how it's kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. have a cute car chase, and it's also exhilarating and wonderful. Because the choreography uh, is gorgeous. It's like and it's like a musical if, uh, number. If you're gonna do another Herbie movie, <laughs> it needs to be a heist movie. Yeah, we haven't really done a Herbie heist movie. That'd be fun. Someone like uses Herbie, like a bad as, guy steals as, as Herbie or whatever. Car, yeah, yeah. And Herbie has to commit the heist in order to save whoever the new Dean Jones is. Who, who's who's the modern day Dean Jones? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Paul Rudd. Well, well, I mean, Paul Rudd could do anything, but Paul yeah, Rudd he he be, could do it. He'd be good. I'd say John Hamm, but yeah. But no, John's the villain. Oh, you think John Hamm is? I the, think John Hamm is the villain. He's he'd have yeah. much more fun. As I, the I, I suppose so. I think. Yeah. Um. Martin Freeman. As, as Dean Jones or Dean as the Jones. villain? No, it's Dean Jones. Well, Dean the villain would be fun yeah. too, actually, come to think of it. He's, or, he's, uh, he's got it in him. Or, or uh, who was, um, oh, what was his name? Mm. Sam Anderson from Werewolves Within. Oh, Sam Anderson? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he'd, he'd be he'd, wonderful. He'd be really good as a new Dean Jones. That's a great role Because he's him. really, really funny. He's so fucking funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's <laughs> sold. <laughs> there you go. Sold. You got me. I love it. And We're he, going to get like, to. He's, he's sort of like a, he's a. He's like the the gentle thief, like he's he's in on this heist, but you know he's he's not mean about it, and he only wants to rob you know people who can recoup their losses. Mm-hmm. But but you know we we want to have a heist, so yeah. And Herbie gets sort of roped into this. I, I found this really cheap nineteen sixty eight uh, Volkswagen Type One. It'll be a good escape car. Yeah, it's gonna we got to be really tiny and get yeah. into cramped spaces. Yeah, okay, I love it. Get Robert <laughs> Ben Garant and Thomas Lennon on that stat. <laughs> <laughs> the the they are the yeah. writers of Taxi, but oh oh here's what it is hmm. oh 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 I just got it I okay. just cracked the script right. here's why they need Herbie all right it's not just that they need a small car and it happens to be Herbie the the villain like whoever it's Tom Hiddleston let's say it's Thomas it's Tom Hiddleston Tom Hiddleston <laughs> Tom is the Hiddleston villain. is the villain that's a great idea right. <laughs> he'd be fun okay Tom Hiddleston is planning this elaborate uh, heist and he's gonna use him and he's gonna use a, a Volkswagen Mini. Uh, uh, no, what, what? It's a beetle. Well, a Volkswagen, Volkswagen beetle. beetle. He's a Volkswagen yeah. beetle. Sorry, Techno- got, Italian job got to be distracted. Technically, it's called a Type One, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's okay. um, it's it's popularly known as a beetle. Popularly known as the beetle. He's going to use a beetle. He needs a beetle in order to do the, the the heist just perfectly, and he already has a partner, Horace the Hate Bug. <laughs> Which we've previously seen, Horace. Horace the Hate Bug is canon, and people forget about this because they've seen a lot of people have seen like the early Herbie movies, like The Love Bug, Herbie Rides Again. Those are the two good ones. Uh, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo has some good parts. Mm. Herbie Goes Bananas sucks. Not, not a good one. It's a terrible motion picture. Uh, the Lindsay Lohan one is really underrated. I quite like it a lot. But the mm. one in the middle that nobody talks about is a TV movie directed by Peyton Reed, the guy who does the Ant Man movies now. Uh, starring, 97 that one came out Yeah, starring Bruce Campbell as a guy as a, he's a race car driver who happens to luck into getting Herbie and, uh, and, and, it's, it's, and it's canon like Dean Jones shows up as his character from the original yeah, movie it's also called just the love bug but yeah. it's, it's in uh, uh, the same chronology even. Yeah. yeah and uh, and the villain who's the guy um, oh who's the brother from the mummy uh, oh, Ke- Kevin J O'Connor no 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 the other the other guy not not the villain the brother uh, oh, um, um, uh, John Hanna. John Hanna. Yeah. John Hanna plays the bad guy in that one. But Kevin and J. His, O'Connor is in it. Yeah, and his whole thing is he finds out that Herbie is alive and has all these magical powers, and he wants to create his own Herbie mm-hmm. for his own dastardly end. So he creates Horace the Hate Bug, and it ends in a big race between Herbie and Horace. 
bring back Horus. <laughs> and then Horus, like, so what happens is Horus is actually, like, Hor- arrested. Horus and he's, like, put tra- in, like, yeah, yeah. he's actually, like, put in, like, jail, like, Hannibal Lecter. He's got, like, this one he's garage in, towards the back of it. Yeah, he's um, in an impound lot, but it's, like, a big glass cage with air holes in it. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Horus is, is at the impound lot, and Tom Hiddleston can't break him out. So uh, he ends up having to blackmail uh, Sam Anderson into letting him use Herbie. And Herbie, you know, won't doesn't want to do it, but then he, like, threatens Sam Anderson's life. So Herbie has to do it. And at the end, Horus breaks out, and he's mad at everybody. He's mad at Tom Hiddleston for betraying him. Just he's mad at Herbie hate. for being Herbie. Ah! Sold! <laughs> Where's my check? You can have some. All right, thank you. <laughs> Damn good idea. Anyway. Yeah, but Her- Herbie is... Um... Let's just bring back Herbie. It's Herbie's fine. delightful. You, you, Come you, on, bring it. Give Herbie his own show. Disney's milking everything and remaking everything. Why not just do another Herbie? Herbie, Herbie should Herbie's, have. Herbie should Herbie's have a, a light, fun enough. Herbie, premise. Herbie should have a TV show again. I think. Herbie had a TV no, show in the eighties. The TV no, show wasn't very good. That though, TV yeah. show wasn't very good because it was all about like Dean Jones becoming like a boring dad. Yeah. T- take the premise of Herbie Fully Loaded, mm-hmm. where it's like a teenager in their first car and they want to get into drag racing or something. Yeah. Do like six episodes. Of just like a couple of different Herbie adventures, oh, like a like yeah. a Herbie anthology series, yeah, maybe. How about that'd we, be fun? How about Herbie like throughout history, it's like your, f- from each different owner Herbie has gone through? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that could be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the the Volkswagen Type One has a pretty dodgy past. Um, uh, oh yeah, the, the Volkswagen was was a, a Nazi design. Yeah, uh, Volkswagen and. Uh, so the, yeah, the Type One actually has like a, a really dark past. So we, maybe we could have like a World War II story about the one that broke, for, defected, and helped oh the God. French Resistance. And that's so, where we get some kind of weird Transformers crossover because I think Bumblebee was involved in the World War II Resistance. According to the according oh. to Transformers canon, I want to say yeah. Oh. There definitely was a do- oh, prologue in one of them where, like, there were cars in like Nazi Germany that were like okay. turned out to be like defectors or something. <laughs> The Defector cons. <laughs> I'm probably remembering that slightly wrong. Anyway, uh, the Italian job is great. The Italian job is great. Please see the original Italian job. The, the remake is fine, but the original has all the personality and the wit. There's really kind of nothing quite like it. I know. I I feel like this has got to be a movie Guy Ritchie saw when he was a kid, and it really uh, well, internalized the, a lot of it. This is, uh, from what I've heard from like British comedians and you know just other British actors talking about. Like sort of that are you know about my age or maybe a little older. The kinds of films they watched growing up. The Italian Job is mentioned a lot. Yeah. I think this was this this is sort of like ha, maybe has the same status uh, in England in the '60s as maybe The Princess Bride does in the early '90s. Yeah, it was like just when constantly it was eventually, on. Yeah. Eventually discovered and just proliferated, and everybody yeah. started memorizing this thing. Yeah, didn't win huge awards. Wasn't a gigantic hit, but it really got its claws yeah. into the culture and. Uh, and yeah, so as such, I've heard it mentioned a lot. See, that and The Great Escape are, seem to be like yeah. the two films that every British person <laughs> saw at uh, some uh, point. Uh, and later on, uh, the one I've heard, and this is all second, third hand, because we're, we're Americans, but the other one I'd heard uh, from the last like t- 30 years or so was With No One Die. Oh, yeah. That's the other one that everyone just like is just huge over there and respected over here. A cult movie huge here, over there. Yeah. yeah, huge over there, apparently. But yeah. Or so I'm told. And, uh, and it's, all, gr- it's all brown perspective. And The Great Escape is a, a big hit here too. It True, because of Steve McQueen. From, yeah, because uh, they threw in one big, American in a T-shirt. Well, um, yeah, but you know, it's it's a lot of big American actors. You know, James Coburn and, yeah. and uh, uh, Charles Bronson. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's a great mostly, movie. Yeah. I love I love the Great. Escape. I love it's the Great Escape. Song. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the greatest got, motorcycle stunts in history. Great I got Escape. to uh, project that recently. Great nice. Escape. Yeah. Ooh, that's exciting. Um, anyway. That is it for the streaming club this week. I'm glad we got to see that one. I'm glad Whitney got to appreciate a film I've always been fond of. And Next that, time. And if you know anybody at Disney who's looking to do something with Herbie. We got ideas. Uh, <laughs> uh, next time on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, we are going to be heading on over to Netflix. And we're going to be looking at their romance section. Whitney and I are feeling a little romantic. And uh, the nominees for next week's episode of the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club are, in no particular order, uh, Mystic Pizza, an early Julia Roberts film uh, about a, a group of sisters in New England falling in love with other and, people. And, uh, and there's a pizza joint, and uh, yeah, they, their mom runs a pizza joint, yeah. and there's this whole subplot about uh, how like the, the secret ingredient of the pizza has never been revealed. I've interviewed many people who've starred in Mystic Pizza. I've asked every single one of them what the secret ingredient is. Nobody knows. Uh, next up, we have Howard's End, which is about the last day. Uh, in the life of Ron Howard, 
they were very no oh I actually God. I actually don't really Howard's End is a Merchant Ivory film mm-hmm. about people talking in houses and I have no idea what the actual plot of the movie is I haven't seen it either so yeah, yeah I can't, can't take it the big Academy Award uh, won a couple Academy Awards if memory serves um, it was part of that big Rick Remains of the Day uh, sort of wave of uh, costume dramas in the 90s uh, but uh, the, yeah, the actual plot of Howard's End, I feel like I might have seen it when it came out, but it's gone. I yeah. remember, I remember Anthony Hopkins talking to Emma Thompson in a hallway. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, so that's an option. There's um, ones I constantly. Well, if you're thinking about Anthony Hopkins talking to Emma Thompson in a hallway, you're probably thinking of Remains of the Day, and no, no, not no. Howard's End. No, 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 no. He speaks to her in a hallway in Howard's End too. Oh, does he? Okay. Oh, yes. Many a hallway. I've seen I've seen the remains of the dead. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah it's awesome. But I've not seen Howard's End. Okay, uh, next up we have uh, the early Spike Lee joint. She's got to have it, mm-hmm. which of course uh, more recently has become a series on Netflix. I'm actually I haven't seen either. Yeah, uh, nor have I. So, so yeah. that's a that's an exciting uh, uh, possibility. And then lastly, uh, we have got uh, the 1997 drama Love Jones, uh, which. Uh, yeah, is a is a, so, a, a an acclaimed yeah, it was very well respected r- romance at the time. film in the late nineties. Yeah, starring uh, Lawrence Tate, Nia Long, uh, Bill Bellamy was in that as well. Um, yeah, just never got around to it. Always wanted to. Mm. Uh, definitely a possibility as well. So whichever one of those films wins the poll, we will review that next week on the critically acclaimed streaming club. So uh, head on over. That poll should be up around the time that this episode goes live. Uh, and uh, yeah. Tell us what you want. We'll do it. We are we are the world's oyster. Uh, and if you head on over to our Patreon, you're going to find a lot of other cool stuff there. We got podcasts dedicated to Batman, Star Trek, the Academy Awards, commentary tracks. Uh, we have uh, uh, online hangouts once a month now. Um, There's a lot of exclusive stuff, so we hope you're enjoying it. And uh, yeah, by all means, if you can help keep the show alive, we sure would appreciate it. Because I'm telling you, without our patrons, we wouldn't be here. No. So no, thank we... you very much to everybody who contributes every month. We know it's a lot. We know you know times can be hard, and we're just incredibly grateful for everyone who finds it in their heart and who values the show enough to want to pay for it. We really thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to talk about anything we discussed on this particular episode of the Streaming Club, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that's letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail and talk about anything else you want to. There's nothing to be about this. Just whatever you want to talk about. Uh, the world is still your oyster, damn it. Have a lot of oysters. <laughs> People like oysters. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Tell them about our P.O. Box. Uh, we have a P.O. Box if you want to send us some uh, actual physical letters, and we'll read those on our letters episode. It's uh, Just write it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565. Uh, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yep, and uh, you know what? It's the summer. It's hot. It's sweaty. You probably need some soap. Head on over to Etsy. Look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word. That is the Etsy store run by uh, my wife and partner, M. Lopez da Silva, and myself. We have dropped a whole bunch of new designs for July. Uh, Hot pink, retro wave, awesome smelling bars. Uh, We got bars uh, uh, inspired by uh, the uh, vampire novel Carmilla. Uh, We've got uh, just lavender creations we got shiny soaps we've got aquatic soaps we got all kinds of wonderful soaps um and um yeah and there's a sale going on in the month of july so uh you can also find salt cat soap on twitter and instagram at salt cat soap and i think that's about it so uh, thank you everybody once again for listening and that is the end of this particular podcast right about now 